Good morning. Today is Friday the 19th, 2019. It is Good Friday. This is Morning Prayer, the Daily Office, a compilation of liturgy from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer and Enriching Our Worship 1, Supplemental Liturgical Materials. I am your regular person host, Jacob. I'm humbled and grateful to be here with you today, raising our voices in a never-ending prayer that spans across time and geography. I am, as the usual disclaimer goes, just a regular person, which is what is so beautiful about the daily office. It's not a rite that must be performed by a clergy person. Readings for this morning, excuse me, our readings for this morning are Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, Hebrews 10, 16 through 25, and John 18, 1 through 19, 42. There is an option to instead read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and 5, 7 through 9. So we'll have a look at that when we get there. On a personal note, if you could bear with me, I am trying out yet another recording service. I know you guys kind of stuck with me while I tried a couple out. I am intensely frustrated with the voice memos that come with your iPhone after it dumped yet another recording yesterday and I did not get to upload it to the podcast because it was completely corrupt and total crap. I am trying to give up on it again. I'm using this new service. What I don't like about it is that it won't let me go back and listen while I'm in the process. So if I have to pause and go do something and come back, I don't know exactly where I left off. So if there are a couple choppy bits while I figure it out, thank you for your grace. We begin on page 76 of the Book of Common Prayer. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, to set forth his praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others, those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. And so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship him, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by his infinite goodness and mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. 
Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Today, if you would hear God's voice, harden not your hearts. O God, you are my God, eagerly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a barren and dry land where there is no water. Therefore I have gazed upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power and your glory. For your loving kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall give you praise. So will I bless you as long as I live, and lift up my hands in your name. My soul is content, as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my helper, and under the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. Today, if you would hear God's voice, harden not your hearts. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me, they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord, let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. For the, from the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Isaiah 52.13-53.12 See, my servant shall prosper, He shall be exalted and lifted up, and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as from one... And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. 
The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured himself out to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle F found on page 33 of Enriching Our Worship 1. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, inflicted by God's fierce anger. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my courage. Remember my affliction and my bitterness, wormwood and gall. The steadfast love of God never ceases. God's mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in God. It is good that we should wait quietly for the coming of God's salvation. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, I took a look at our um, two readings, and I chose Hebrews 10, 16 through 25. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle S, A Song of Our True Nature Christ revealed our frailty and our falling, our trespasses and our humiliations. Christ also revealed his blessed power, his blessed wisdom and love. He protects us as tenderly and as sweetly when we are in greatest need. He raises us in spirit and turns everything to glory and joy without ending. God is the ground and the substance, the very essence of nature. God is the true father and mother of natures. We are all bound to God by nature, and we are all bound to God by grace. And this grace is for all the world, 
because it is our precious mother, Christ. For this fair nature was prepared by Christ for the honor and nobility of all, and for the joy and bliss of salvation. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with the disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you sent me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Anas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? 
Then Anas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters, so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he is claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is greater of a, is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought, Je- he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but... This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. 
So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again another passage of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us say together the Apostles' Creed, found on page 96 of the Book of Common Prayer. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your, ma- hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We will use the suffrages in Enriching Our Worship 1, found on page 42. As usual, I'll say both parts, just because it's a little odd when I don't. But the way this goes is I would say the versicle and you would say the response. Help us, O God our Savior. Deliver us and forgive us our sins. Look upon your congregation. Give to your people the blessing of peace. Declare your glory among the nations and your wonders among all peoples. 
Do not let the oppressed be shamed and turned away. Never forget the lives of your poor. Continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your favor to those who are true of heart. Satisfy us by your loving kindness in the morning. So shall we rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name. Amen. All right, folks, we're already at over half an hour, and now is the time for personal prayers and thoughts. And there is just so much. So bear with me as I share with you a few of my thoughts on our readings from today and on Good Friday in general. Um, Let's start with our psalm. Let's, let's go in the order of the readings. That usually makes the most sense. Not always, but usually. So in Psalm 22, a few things that resonated with me are that the psalmist in verse 11 says that there is trouble, trouble is near and there is no one to help. And I immediately think of him forsaken, the psalmist forsaken by his friends. Um, and our notes here say that this is a psalm of David. And we know that David was not always forsaken, but definitely in this moment, David or whomever the psalmist was, if you don't feel that it was David, that's fine, felt completely alone. And I would go a bit further to say, and bear with me here, that we should at least consider God as our true help. Is there really ever anyone near? Isn't it always God? When we receive help, is it not always God working through humanity to reach us? The psalmist describes so, he uses these visceral similes and they are both beautiful and wrenching all at once. I am poured out like water.
Let that continue to resonate as we go through because we'll talk a little bit more about that or we'll at least make a connection across the span of our scripture to later on. As, as also, I, I think the one that we always remember because it's actually quoted to us later in the gospel, and for my clothing they cast lots. But there's this other here that struck me. In 14, I am poured out like water. And then the psalmist moves on to speak into the future his faith that God will save him. So he moves from this very thorough description of the despair, distress, and woundedness in which he finds himself to speak his belief that God will save him. From the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. His immediate response to the rescue is to proclaim that to all he encounters. And that, I believe, is so often, and it's good, this is a good thing, our response, that we have been saved, we have experienced the beautiful rescue of God, and we want to go forth and share it. Not to temper that joy, but perhaps to speak encouragement when that sharing is not met with the thankfulness and the reception that we want it to be. Let us remember that our story is not everyone's story and that God's rescue shows up in different ways in different, different people's lives. Our path is not always the only path. And that is not to discourage from sharing, but that is to encourage when our sharing does not receive the response that we're looking for. And I have, um, I have an example. I have a friend in my life who experienced a very beautiful redemption of a relationship in her life. And her response to it is to share it with everyone, which is wonderful. And then further, she wants to try and help other people receive something like this beauty that she has received in their lives. And so she says, here's what happened to me. Isn't that beautiful? Here is how I think you might apply it in a relationship in your life. She's offering a beautiful gift. but it might not be a gift for others to open. Not all others anyway. It might be her gift, and it might be the gift of some that she knows, but it's not everybody's gift. So sometimes she offers this gift and says, I want you to receive this too. And she says this, she offers this with a beautiful and true heart. And I think this is so true of so many of us. When we discover something, we want to share it. We want other people to know it. And that is, at its very essence, what we are doing with the good news, with the gospel. It's not always the right time. It's not always packaged the right way. 
it just doesn't always fit. But God's grace and God's timing will ensure that those around us don't miss out on their gifts, on their deliverance. So when my friend offers this gift in the package in which she received it, because she wants to pass it along, and the intended recipient says, mm, sorry, not for me, not at this time, both parties might feel a little wounded. And so I ask for us to invite God's grace in that we may share with each other without offense and without obligation and understand that each of our stories are different. When we continue to seek God and to see God in each other, we can rest assured that God's grace will ensure that nothing is missed. As my lovely friend, different friend, likes to say, nothing is left on the table. So in this time of Easter, in this time of, man, through Holy Week, we are really walking into Jesus' story. We are sharing it with him. We are asking God to share the blessings of that story with us, to share the experience. We are asking, as our introductory verses said, for our hearts to not be hardened, for them to be wide open, for them to see and receive everything that God has for us. At this time, we really want to share with others. Let us share and let us receive in response through no filter but the filter of God's grace. And let us trust in him for our gifts and their timing, both for the giver and for the recipient. And we can trust that God's graciousness and blessing and gifts and timing are above and beyond human time. That when we share them here, we share them in every time. When we receive them here, we receive them on behalf of all God's people in every time. And the psalmist speaks to that in verse 31. Proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. God is here. God is there. God is now, God is then, God is in all places and at all times. We will not miss God. Our beloveds will not miss God. Praise God. Amen. That timelessness is referred to, at least I can see the inference, in our reading from Isaiah in verse 13, or Beginning verse, see my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up. He shall be, he will be. There's the promise there that in time, in God's time, the servant will be. And I think there's something very interesting too about this passage 
which describes the announcement of the exaltation of the servant of God, is the way my commentary puts it. So this is the final servant song, the fourth and final servant song in Isaiah, and it portrays the suffering of the servant and his ultimate exaltation. Now, different, there are many different religious perspectives on who the servant is. The servant is identified by different perspectives as Moses, Jesus, Israel, like Israel the nation, Israel itself, Israel the community of people, Jeremiah, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and probably others. And that is interesting to me. Again, it speaks to timelessness and universality. This servant is, I believe, all of these people. We're framing this passage today for Jesus because we're going to go on and read in the gospel about Jesus and about how Jesus fulfills this prophecy. It is also all Israel. It is also all God's people. It is also all of our suffering. Because when we make of our suffering a sacrifice, it is redeemed and used by God. Verse 8 of 53 says, Who could have imagined his future? And that's something that struck me too. When we clear enough of our gunk out of the way that God can work through us, and we take action that echoes, or we allow God to take action in and through us that echoes across time. Do we know it? Do we know it in our small human portion of time? I think the answer is yes and no. I think sometimes we have eyes that are open to see and God gives us the vision, those two things together or would allow us to see. But I think that sometimes we don't see because our hearts are hardened and our eyes are closed or because God does not give us the vision. God knows better than we do what we need. And I know that a million times in my life I have said, I am on my knees in the darkness, grasping for broken pieces of this mosaic to try to put it together and see the picture. Please, God, help me see. Help me know what this means. Help me know what this is for. And sometimes God does. Sometimes, as with so many prayers, the answer is yes in an expected way. Sometimes the answer is something different. Sometimes we don't see it until later. And it's comforting to me that it's not just me because I used to feel like it must be something I was doing wrong. There must be a piece of the formula that I wasn't getting. Otherwise, I would be able to see and understand and know all. Well, I can't see and understand and know all because I am not God. Only God sees and knows and understands all. But I can have trust and faith that he will show me what I need to see. He will show you what you need to see. 
Our only job is to be with him. To seek relationship with God. To seek and keep seeking. When our stuff comes up, when our junk comes to the surface, if you'll forgive the disgusting metaphor, when the turd floats to the top of the bowl, we deal with it. So that God can clear the space. So that God can make use of everything. So that we can reach God. We seek relationship with God and we deal with our own stuff in the right time. Not everything all at once. Not every moment all at once. When God so graciously brings it to us and God is there with us, we don't do it alone. And the living into this is how the suffering servant sees his offspring, how we, when we are the suffering servant, see our offspring, see the fruit. Verse 10, when you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. I don't think I can say it any better than that, or really any more clearly. (laughs) Going along to the latter portion of verse 12, because he poured himself out to death, and that echoes back to the psalm that we read. There are many days that we feel empty, we feel as though we are poured out and not replenished. And I think the answer there is that we have not come to God. We have poured out into other things, into our job. I mean, and they're good things, into our jobs, our families, our communities, our churches. But it is God who replenishes, God who fulfills. We're never going to get back enough from the earthly, from the mortal, from the human, from the world, to replenish what we pour out. We have to come to Christ to be refilled. For me personally, I feel so odd. I speak so much about myself to y'all, but I, I am the human that I know. I am the example with which I am most intimate. I'm a giver. I pour out into all of those things I just named. And I caught myself recently expecting to get back appreciation and thinking that would fulfill me and really behaving rather badly when I didn't. I was wrong. I pour out into those around me. I get back from God. And when I seek God before doing the pouring out, then I know that I'm pouring out the right amounts in the right places because an overwatered plant will drown, won't it?
One last thing on Isaiah. The suffering servant made intercession. It is not just Jesus that can intercede on the behalf of others. And when we approach our suffering as communal suffering and pray into the communal healing of the world and its people and its life, we raise it to the next level. It becomes not just prayer for us, but intercessory prayer on behalf of everyone else who has suffered a similar suffering, perhaps any suffering. And that prayer reaches, that prayer doesn't know distance or time because God, the recipient of prayer, doesn't know distance or time. And God's action and response reaches farther than we know. The offspring, the fruit, are more than we know. Even we can't see it. So let's have faith that God sees and knows and trust in him that he is doing amazing things, more than we can imagine, with what we give to God. All right, I know I'm waxing long, and I haven't even gotten to the gospel yet. So from our reading in Hebrews, I'm just going to speak about the verse that really resonated with me. I mean, there's a lot there, so please go back and and see what speaks to you as well. But what really stood out to me today was verse 24. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My commentary mentions another translation of verse 24. Let us keep holding one another in our thoughts such that an explosion of love and good works results. The purpose of considering the other is not to motivate the other to loving action, but to find one's own motivation to love and serve the other. I think that is just wonderful. It is amplified a thousandfold. It is more than lifting each other up. It is so loving and holding each other. I love the Quaker expression for prayer, which is to hold someone in the light. We hold each other so in the light and we meet, as verse 25 speaks to, we hold each other in prayer, we hold each other in the light, and we meet each other right where we are. And an explosive reaction of love is the result. God, that's beautiful. May we enact this out in our lives in every way possible. Amen. All right, getting now to the gospel. So this was two chapters of reading. This was huge. And we're all going to, we're all going to talk about this today on Good Friday. I'm thinking, I mean, I guess I don't want to assume, but this is going to, I think it's safe to say that, that the gospel reading for Good Friday is going to be much discussed today. So 
What I'm going to do is bring to you some questions and I ask that you lift them up to God and that you discuss them with God and with, with other people in your lives and do me a kindness and let you know, let me know what you hear back. And, um, I will do the same if so moved by the spirit. So the questions that I have about the gospel are about timelessness and fulfillment and destiny, right? These are existential questions that I struggle with because all through our reading today, it harkens back to other pieces of scripture to speak to the fact that Jesus fulfilled the scripture. So Jesus fulfilled his destiny. We strive to be like Jesus, to tap into that which is Jesus in us. Do we then have a destiny that we are preordained to, that we are fulfilling? How does free will fit into that? How does choice, how does grace for mistakes? Or are we only told these things to convince us that Jesus was the Christ, is the Christ, will always be the Christ? God, show us the purpose. I believe, here's what I believe. I'm going to go ahead and share it with you now and, and forgive me if I'm kind of predisposing. I believe that in our lives, God gives us touch points to let us know that we're on the right track. And I think the right track being the track that continually draws closer to God, even when we've been away, back in. But for the readers of John's gospel, for the hearers of John's gospel, both at the time that it was written and now, I think that these references to earlier scripture and to Jesus fulfilling the prophecies, they were those touch points, they were reassurances, they were more than proofs. They were guideposts. And I would say even for Jesus himself, because like we were talking about before, sometimes we're just doing this blind in our human blindness and hoping and praying and having faith that it is clear to God, even when it's not clear to us. And so I think that these little lights on the way, these little things that, aha, yes, I remember that from before. I know that to be truth. It aligns with the now. So therefore I know that I am moving along God's path. I believe that it was that way for Jesus too. I believe that it helped him walk through this. And so I pray for all of us that we would be given touch points that help us walk through whatever it is that we're called to walk through with whomever it is that we're called to walk through. Sometimes we are guides, sometimes we are guided. But in every aspect and position of our lives, may we have eyes to see the spotlight of God and the message that we read in that light. May we be reassured when we are on track and within God's will. And may we be gently corrected when we are not. May we not get lost in the mire, but accept redirection and move back to God 
May we test all paths by the light of God's presence and the pieces of knowledge which he shares with us and through us. May we seek and know and find. May we have eyes to see. Amen. This might be my first podcast that's gone over an hour. I thank you very much for bearing with me. And I really appreciate the time to spend with you. I am um, called in as the understudy um, to share a message on a reading from Luke today. And I'm quite nervous about it. So I've basically got to go write a sermon. And it's kind of my first sermon. Um, And I'm especially nervous because, as you guys know, I'm totally unqualified. I'm like a lay person. I got no cred. (laughs) So I humbly ask that you pray for me, that the Holy Spirit speak through me, that I get out of the Spirit's way enough to let the Spirit's voice be heard. Amen. I pray for everyone everywhere as the holiday approaches. We wait with great anticipation and we also We feel our wounds at this time that we explore Christ's wounds. May this be a time of healing. May all the woundedness that is revealed be revealed for the greater purpose of healing, healing ourselves and extending God's grace, healing and love to those around us. Amen. The General Thanksgiving on page 101. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. For the means of grace and for the hope of glory, And, we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth our praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory to God whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. We live without fear for our creator has made us holy, has always protected us, 
and loves us as a good mother loves her children. We go now in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with us always. Amen.